and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I spoke to you guys on forgiveness um, in our series, Royals. And um, in both services, 75% of the room stood to their feet saying they needed to forgive somebody or deal with some forgiveness in their life. And it was in that moment, Lord's like, I want to do a little bit more here with this. And I just knew that he wasn't done. And so I thought, all right, Lord, what do you want to do? And on Monday mornings, I meet in my office um, with a couple of guys. We just have prayer and uh, praying for you guys, coming into agreement on what God is saying for this city and for this region. And and two weeks ago on a Monday, we were praying and uh, the Lord just really just dealt in my office. And one of the things we started talking about was the Sunday service for forgiveness. And Dave shared some things from his heart and, and, he, re- and he reminded me of their personal story that you're going to hear a little bit of today. And I was in that moment, I was like, they need to share this, but uh, this is going to be raw. And so I, I told Dave that day, I said, do you want to share? And he's like, yeah, but let me talk to Michelle first. You know, like any good husband, like, yes, but let me ask the boss, right? And, uh, and so he asked the boss and she gave him permission. And um, this is their first time they have shared their story publicly. Their family and a select few group of friends know what they've walked through. And uh, so first thing I want to say is um, at Destiny Church, um, we protect our own, right? And uh, we stand for our own and we defend our own. And uh, so I take great responsibility that they would sit on our stage and share their story. And, um, and so I just tell you, don't walk out of here and think, well, they, they told their story. I'm going to gossip about them. All right. We don't do that. Right? That's not what the body of Christ does. And uh, so this is tr- a transparent moment where you're going to hear from the Lord in their life. And uh, so I just want to get started. Let's jump right into it. This is David and Michelle Cameron. They live here in Republic. And uh, for those that don't know, David is our city administrator. And um, I think that's about the highest place you can be in this town, um, highest level of authority in this town. He is the king of Republic, <laughs> makes makes all the big money and all that. So if you have, but actually if you have problems with the city, you can actually gossip about him. But, um, but um, what we're actually getting ready to say, you can't, you can't gossip. So, hey, I want to, um, I just want to kind of talk to you guys. I have a few questions for you um, this morning. Um, would you guys introduce yourselves? Um, tell us a little about about you, how we, you know, we won't get to the nitty gritty yet, but let's just kind of talk about where we are right now. Okay. Um, so my name is Michelle Cameron, and um, I am a teacher. I work with Tabitha, and I grew up in the Springfield area, uh, graduated from Parkview, and went to SMS, well, MSU, and um, didn't really grow up going to church. Uh, we'd go here and there, um, but I never really understood who Jesus was and um, what he provided. And so um, I have always struggled with confidence and knowing what my life is supposed to look like and um, who I'm supposed to be. And so I just went with what the world told me. And so when I was in high school and college, um, that looked like partying and chasing boys. And um, and then uh, and my degree was uh, in business, not because I had an entrepreneurial spirit, but because uh, I could get a job that 
made lots of money and I could wear nice clothes and have nice things. And so I just kind of wandering around and then, um, into my junior year, David's sister, I work with her. I worked with her at the time. Um, she set us up on a blind date and, uh, I remember sitting on the swings, um, at the park behind the battlefield mall, talking to him on our date and just thinking I could fall in love with this guy. Um, I loved his country boy accent and his big brown eyes and he just made me feel safe. <laughs> and um, that was May 15th and then August 31st, uh, we got engaged. And then in October, cause I was not a Christian, um, in October he led me to the Lord and then I got baptized, and then in February, we got married, and then within five years, uh, we we had three children, and so we've been together for 28 years now. Wow. So, David, you want to say anything? Well, I didn't know I had an accent. Um, <laughs> I've always known I had brown eyes, but the whole accent thing kind of threw me off when she told me that, so I just kind of ran with it. Um so yeah, I'm a I'm a Miller kid. So uh, grew up just right down the road. Yeah, there you go, go Cardinals. Um, but uh, grew up in Miller. Uh, was raised in the church pretty much. Um, my mom and dad divorced whenever I was three, I believe it was. I've got a little sister and an older brother, and uh, so we were raised in the church. My mom played piano. And so I remember me and my sister crawling underneath the pews and racing while she would do that and getting pinched uh, when she got back to the uh, front row and getting disciplined when we got home. But it was, uh, we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, choir practice, Wednesday night. My best friend, they were at the Assemblies of God Church there, and I was with them a lot. So I was in Royal Rangers and around the Word of God a lot. And so we were just taught at an early age what the, what the Bible meant and watch my mother just uh, devotely serve her, her heart to the Lord in, in the church. But uh, I got saved when I was eight, baptized. Uh, that's when Jesus was simple. Uh, Jesus loves me. You know, it was very easy, childlike faith type thing. Uh, but at age 13 is when I had my first encounter with alcohol. And by the time I was 14 or 15, I'd have probably been categorized as an alcoholic. It wasn't that I was not just drinking with friends. It was that I was drinking as an individual in my bedroom. It was not allowed in our home. It was not something I was supposed to do, but it was a place that allowed me to uh, escape. And so um, my mom remarried an incredible man. He's my stepdad. He's, they've been married, I think, now 39 years. And he did an incredible job to help direct me the best I could. But my alcoholism reached a pretty rough stage whenever I was 16. And in between my junior or sophomore and junior year in high school, we lost a friend in, in Miller to a, uh, a shooting. And I was supposed to be at that party. And um, my mom that night, I'd been drinking prior to going. And she'd, she'd smelt it. And she said, David, you've been drinking. You're not going anywhere tonight. And I was mad at mom. And... Um, and a friend of ours got killed. Another friend of ours went to prison. Um, and it was just a very devastating time. But God had been working on my heart that something had to change and I needed to get my life back. And where I knew I was supposed to be the next morning, I rededicated my life to the Lord and got baptized again. And so uh, from there, I stopped everything that looked very much associated with it. Uh, went to college, graduated, um, and then uh, met Michelle. We were very much in love. Uh, it went extremely fast. I mean, engaged in, what, 90 days and um, in love. But um, 
but from there, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just been an incredible, interesting journey to say the least. And so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit about our story. So a couple of years ago at one of our women's conference, Tasha made a statement. She said, we all know that life's not always pickles and sunshine. I'm not really sure, ladies, if you were there. I'm not, I think we made a t-shirt about it. I never heard pickles and sunshine, but hey, we decided to go with it. So obviously your life hasn't been always pickles and sunshine. You know, you had this fairy tale beginning. You went together, you got together fast, you led her to the Lord, you loved each other. Um, you know, things weren't always easy. Can of talk to us about kind of this next season that's leading us to really what the Lord's wanting to do today. Yeah, so the the, the next season, is it started off fantastic, as every honeymoon does, you know. So um, we love the Lord. We were very much connected as into the Lord and, and serving the Lord in every capacity. And where it really went sour uh, for me personally was, I think it was in our first year, that um, I was working for government. I have been since 1992. And I made a decision at work. And we just come out of revival service. God was moving. It was incredible. And we were just loving life, loving the Lord and serving God. And I made a mistake at work and I lied about it. And I just couldn't believe that I would disappoint God in such a capacity. In that moment, I felt like God left me. I became very insecure uh, in my walk. And my heart turned away from Michelle and it turned to how insecure I was in the Lord. And so I went into more of a legalistic approach to fix it. And uh, got into the ministry, thought, well, I'm going to quit my job, go into ministry to show God how committed I was to fixing and showing him that I could repair my life and that I was completely completely committed to him. That lasted all of, what, 12 or 14 months. We moved to Nebraska uh, for the ministry, went to Mount Vernon, back to youth ministry, and then to the inner city of St. Louis. And I became very bitter at God during that time because... Um, I wasn't seeing the manifestations. I couldn't feel God anymore. And I was like, I'm not saved anymore. And I'm not seeing anything happen in my life. And I began to turn away from our relationship and turn to myself and became very, very bitter. And that's when we ended up in Arkansas. We went back to government. Uh, don't hold that against me. I love it. Um, but I began to reintroduce alcohol back into my life and uh, not started socially and then it became something that was not part of my work, but something that when I went home, I would do um, abusively. And uh, not so much that I didn't want to be with Michelle or the kids. I just could not stand who I was as a person. And how could a Christian drink and be addicted to these things? I was very bitter that God wasn't taking care of it or I couldn't feel him anymore. And so that's really where the beginning where we began to splinter because my focus turned to myself and not even to her. So, Michelle, how would you say that the the alcohol really started impacting your life? So he's saying he's turning from you. You guys are married. Um, and he's kind of running you all over the place to try to get this fix, really. You know, multiple cities trying to get a religious fix. That's what a lot of us do, right? We try to, like, fix it with religion rather than like in a, like a relationship with the Lord. And David, we'll talk about freedom in a moment. You know, it's interesting. Just a few months ago, you guys weren't attending Destiny Church, you know, and, and freedom groups. We talk about freedom groups here at Destiny and how powerful they all are in our life groups and all of that. I think you need, I think every one of you need to go through freedom. I believe with everything I have, they weren't going to our church. He saw me advertising freedom. He said, hey, he texted me. He said, hey, can I come to your group? And, uh, you know, 
rewind a little bit when we first met him six, seven years ago, whatever it was when they moved to town. And there, and the first time I met him is about people saying our church was too noisy. If any of you were around then, <laughs> that was when I first met this guy. And, um, but anyway, I knew that day though, that the Lord told me that they'd be coming to our church. I knew then that they'd be coming to our church. And so he texted me, he's like, can I join your freedom group? And I was like, yes. And so freedom really helped you wrestle with some of those things that you've been wrestling with for a lot of time, trying to fix things with religion. And so we can get there in a minute, but Michelle, he's trying to fix things with religion. How did alcohol and not, it wasn't just a casual drink. It was abuse. It was alcoholism. How was that impacting your family and your relationship and what began to transpire to lead us to where we're going? Uh, yeah, so um, I was trying to figure out the challenges that I had before I became a Christian of knowing what my life was supposed to look like, um, how was I supposed to live my life. Um, when I became a Christian, they just kind of transferred over, and so I looked at what I thought all these perfect mom, Christian moms, Christian woman, Christian wife, uh, what the... Christian station said I should look like. And um, I fell very short of what my unrealistic expectation was because I wasn't looking at Jesus. And I held David to a really high standard because I thought he was supposed to complete me because that's what the world tells us is that you'll find a man or you'll find your wife or you'll find a person that will completely complete you. And God never intended that. He's got He's the only one that can fill that hole. And so when he began to drink, um, that was really hard because I was looking for him to complete me. And I was trying to raise our children in a certain way. And it felt like the person that was supposed to be helping me in that journey was doing the exact opposite. It wasn't even that I was alone. It was that I was fighting against something that did not reflect God. And so we just kind of splintered, and I didn't know who I was going to have at the end of the day. I didn't know if I was going to have my safe David. Or if it was going to be a situation bigger than what I knew how to handle. Mm. I didn't understand it and I wasn't mature enough to address it in a way um, that was healthy. And so I leaned more towards being mom because I didn't know how to be a wife because mm. um, I couldn't fix the problem. And um, I was mad at God because I was like, I thought when I became a Christian, everything would be fine. Yeah. And I think that's a huge lie that um, when you become a Christian, everything's not fine, but your soul is saved mm. and you have hope. You are still going to have challenges and troubles and, and things are still going to be disappointing and you're still going to struggle. But I thought things would be perfect. So, um, Yeah. And at this time, you have three kids. Mm-hmm. You know how long? How long did the alcoholism last? Um, the alcoholism would go through seasons because the um, 
God would always bring me back to a place that this was, it just wasn't working. And every time I would gear up to try one more time, I was like, I'm going to, this time I'm going to, uh, I'm going to clean up God. This, this is, I'd repent. I'd write every sin I could possibly fathom. And most of my binges were after church. Wow. Um, I feel so condemned. I, I remember, I can't tell you how many times I've been to the altar to rededicate my life. In the Baptist church, you're, you're saved forever. And when I went to Pentecostal church, I got saved every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Just being real. And, and I, sorry. Um, but I remember uh, vividly, um, another one of those seasons we were going to James River and it was a Sunday and I felt like, okay, I got to go down the front again. Today's going to be the day that I'm going to, it's going to get fixed. And this is like the 127th time, but this day I'm really serious. And I'll never forget the next week they preached on Jonah and I looked at Michelle, I said, I'm just, I don't have a clue. And I went, I went home on a bender. Um, I was like, God, you're impossible. I might as well, you know, if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well go, well, go with gusto. And, um, and uh, we're being raw, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so I went off into those places, and there'd be seasons, and just I'd, I'd get closer. I'd have an emotional experience. But I, if you didn't go to the altar and you didn't cry and something didn't happen, you're like, it's still not there. I don't feel something. Yeah. And so um, it's like this is – it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting is the only thing I could tell you. And so when you hit those exhaustion points, see, I was on a high point with my work and the things that I do. I could flourish outside of my home. Inside my home was where I had to deal with myself. And so it, it just, um, it would go in seasons. You know, we were still going to church. We were still trying to fix it. I was trying, but my focus was never on Michelle. It was always on what I wasn't. And it's like, I love you, but I, I, I don't even know what your problems are. I got, I got to get this worked out with God and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I couldn't do it. And so I drank. Wow. So, you know, so we're talking a little bit about that time. So your mom, David's working for the government, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on inside of his soul. You're raising three kids. What I want everybody to see, though, is for the most part, People didn't know that anything was wrong, right? Oh, Lord, no. You could hide behind your results. I mean, um, to the world, you know, we we had three wonderful children. Our, you know, back to the, our, our Facebook page, you would see we'd be at Padre Island having vacation, taking pictures, selfies, doing all that. And we hid behind our children. And uh, Say that again. What'd you do? We hid behind our children. I think a lot of us need to hear that. I think that's what a lot of us do is we hide behind our kids, you know, their accolades or their successes. And then, and then, you know, we'll get there, but then eventually you find yourselves with no kids in the house. Yeah. It, it was all three of our children were involved in sports. We probably, you know, we traveled, we, we, we had that connection together with our children we wanted to be there to support them. And they were very gifted and talented and one bold and one was a basketball player that went to play college ball. And so that lat, oh, I'm sorry. And fishing. And so we'd fish tournaments. We did, I mean, there were, you name it, we did everything we could to fill our time, but we were connected to them but not connected to each other. And I was still very insecure with just who I was. Even as a father, I was insecure, like I'm doing it wrong and I'm not training them right. But we hid through travel ball and nothing against it, but that was how we escaped from our problem 
and we never fought. That's the one thing about it is we never fought. We used to brag about, well, you know, we've never had an argument. Well, we did it one time. It's coming. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah. And we, just to add to that, like, yeah, we never fought, but we never had conversations mm. either. I mean, not that we didn't, but just that it was never, we were never intentional to address the challenges that yeah. we had. Yeah. yeah. We just got into this rhythm of life Yeah, of this is what you do. This is what I do. This is how we function as yeah. a family. You guys were roommates. Yeah. yeah. Living singles. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Married you know, and, and I want everybody to hear me before we dive into this next part. Obviously this is a married couple. And so I think some people can tune out and say, well, I'm not married <clears throat> or our kids are grown or I've never done what they've done. So this, what we're getting ready to talk about is for every single person in this room to hear because the foundation of this is forgiveness and restoration. I don't care if you're married or single, never going to get married. The foundation for Christianity is God for so loved us that he forgave us. And if we don't forgive others, we ourselves can't be forgiven, okay? So this is really a message of forgiveness. So talk to us about rock bottom. This is, this is the part here where I want everybody to like open your heart to what the Lord is saying to you right now. But let's talk about rock bottom. When did we get there? Well, hold on. So uh, rock bottom came in October of 2020. The kids were, um, our oldest had gotten married in, in August and our, and our middle was getting married in, in May of 21 and our youngest was going to be moving out. We knew it. And, um, we knew the covering was gone. I knew it was gone and we were left with nothing to expose what the reality was. And, um, I went to a counselor and I, he said, what can I help you with? And I said, it's my marriage. And he said, I said, something's wrong. He said, well, you need to talk to her. So this was going to be that honest conversation. So we scheduled a lunch down at J.R. Martin Park, went down there. and I mean, it just, the gloves came off. Um, it was like, why are we still together? What is it? We've got nothing but a shell. No pun intended shell, but... <laughs> And um, I said, what do you want to do? And she goes, I think it should still work. And so it's like, well, let's get a counselor. Let's go to counseling. You were were city administrator of Republic at this part. I want people to see that they were somebody in a high level of position in this town, both of them, and a teacher. And so this is even what they're telling you. This isn't just, you know, well, they, they had nothing to lose. They had a lot to lose here. Yeah. So uh, it was... Because it, outside of outside of if you look at Republic and you hear, you see it celebrated a lot, Republic is booming and it's moving. And but my life was at home was miserable. So you can see the success, but you don't see like that's awesome. But what is my life in the Lord is trash and my marriage is trash. And so what good is it to have uh, this happening if you don't have true hope in your life? And and so and then the following weekend we had the that's when the big breakdown took place and we had a big because we couldn't find a counselor it wasn't coming together like that it was like this is you know i'm not walking on eggshells in my house no more we had a slobber snot crying festival going back and forth at each other and uh that's when michelle found the uh the counselor 
Um, so I uh, found a Christian counselor who did a intensive. So signed up for that is three days of counseling, eight hours a day. It was the week of Thanksgiving. And so it was like a month and a half, month away, I think we had where we were just kind of trying to make it to that. And, um, so the first two days were really good. Um, we actually kind of opened up and connected. And then the third day was where we were going to talk about how we were supposed to, the second day our homework was go home and think about how you have hurt your mate. Mm. And then we're going to confess. And so... Um, Day before Thanksgiving comes, and David shares with me, and I wasn't surprised by what he said. And then um, I confessed to him that I had had an affair ten years earlier, and uh, yeah, so. So what did you? What did David confess to you? Um, you know, I really don't remember <laughs> because I knew it was coming. Yeah. I confessed my battle with alcoholism, how it affected her life. I thought about every possible sin of lust that I'd looked at somebody, what I'd seen online. It wasn't an addiction. It was just something or a place that you found. And I was just like, these are my things that I, I've done um, that did not honor you. I just, I try to think of everything. It was like what it could be, but I was so free to say it, but I had no idea what she was going to share. Yeah. So talk, let's, let's walk through that. So, you talk. You told him you'd had an affair, but let's let's walk through this. So, you had to like confess this while he was writing it. Tell us, tell us what was going on there. What they make you? I mean, this. Yeah. So the intensive, they they what they want you to do is to listen, which is hard for me. <laughs> so uh, that's probably what got you guys in this. Place. Oh, without a doubt. Um, so what you do is you write it down and then you repeat it back to them. And like, what I hear you saying is I hurt you this way and it, it caused you to do this and in short chunks. So you don't let it go for five minutes. You do it like every 30 seconds and you're repeating it back. And I'm probably a page into this thing. And, um, she's telling her story and I'm like, okay, I understand that it caused you to do this. And then I understand it caused you to meet with this person and, then it caused you to go progressively to uh, a bad spot where there was a, an affair and they'd slept together. So what was, so here we are, a, a, a mistake, sin, that both of us have contributed to that have brought us to this point. You had told her multiple times in your marriage what? I told her early on 
I said, I'll love you through anything, but you ever cheat on me, um, you can consider it over because trust is a big thing for me. And I'm like, you ever, I, I got one condition. Don't ever cheat on me. And um, otherwise it's over. So she tells you, you have this in your mind that you've said for years, if she cheats on me, I'm leaving. You have no notion this is getting ready to happen. No, no. no knowledge at all that this is getting ready to come down. He's, he's thinking she's going to be upset at him about the things he's confessed. <laughs> really? I mean, that's where he was. He's like, I just have enough to confess myself. I think that this is, you know, and then so <clears throat> she confesses to you. What was your first reaction? This baffled me. She's, um, she's breaking down, telling the story and she's just in complete. I mean, she's shaken. And my first response was, you know, I mean, I've taken care of her for so long, loved her for so long. I reached over and held her. I didn't want her to, I didn't want her to go through it alone. And I hurt for her. Then I realized I was needing somebody to hold me. But my first reaction was to hold her. And so this isn't something, you know, we're not just dealing with something. The, the, the affair happened 10 years ago, but this just came out in October, November of 2020. So you guys have just been walking through this for the past year here, you know, year and a half. So your first reaction was, I want to hold her. And then, well, dang it, somebody needs to hold me. And then they made you guys leave and go to a restaurant, right? We went to, yeah, I'll never go to, oh, I can't say that. We went to Jim's Steakhouse. <laughs> so needless to say, there's no date nights at Jim's Steakhouse. <laughs> I was going to eat well if I was in misery. Yeah, I cried all the way through it. And I wanted every detail. And I asked her every detail. Down to the, where it happened. Everything. Hmm. So now this is where this is where it ends for a lot of people. And earlier I said to you that this is a this is a marriage story <clears throat> and that they had you know that they had to walk through them through some things but what happens to a lot of us is somebody hurts us like this and this is where it gets cut off and this is where a wound comes and we never heal from this wound. That's what typically happens is the, the, the hurt, and we stop here. And you guys could have easily stopped here because you had already made it clear to her that this was over. Talk to us about the next week, what's happening here leading up to a week later on a Wednesday, you know, Michelle, where you were baffled and blown away by this. But let's, let's kind of talk about this process. All right, you have, you have lunch at Jim's. Have you ever been back to Jim's? No. <laughs> Talk to us what happens next. Um, obviously it was my, there'd been a trauma. I mean, to me, a, a death was taking place and I didn't know what to do. I was physically ill. I did not, I mean, I cannot, I don't know how to describe to you what that was like of just, I felt very alone. I didn't have friends. I was disconnected. We were isolated. Uh, I started calling a few of my family just to tell them what it was. I told Michelle, she was going to tell the kids. I wasn't going to tell them. It's like, this is your responsibility. You're going to tell them. 
And uh, I began to try to figure out what I was going to do. And Michelle asked me if I wanted her to go somewhere else. I'm like, my gosh, again, I've been taking care of you. No, I don't want you to go stay somewhere else. I just want to think. And I had to get away. And I had access to legal counsel uh, quickly, but it was not like someone was saying, here, here's, go do this. But on Monday, um, install 13 at Sonic, I pulled in and called the attorney to find out what my options were. Um, couldn't believe I was sitting there uh, having this conversation about this is what I'm going to do. It lasted all of eight minutes. He said, listen, I'm not a marriage counselor, but I can pull this thing off. And you tell me to, you want a divorce, I got it taken care of. And it was so, that's his job. I mean, it was very cold and curt. And I was like, that can't be what, this just cannot be what's happening to me. And so I went home and drafted up a separation agreement to split our assets because I was done. I was like, okay, there's no way. And, and I felt like the voices were telling me that that's, that that's, it was acceptable. The Bible says if she commits adultery, I have a right to walk away. And, uh, and I reached out to a friend, Tom Rankin, who's a business partner I work with quite a bit. He's a Christian friend because Tom and I've had a tremendous relationship and uh, met with him. So that's, that was on a Monday. And then I met with him on a Wednesday, which would have been seven days after the knowledge of it. And so, we, but I want to like, there's some details there that I think that are important. So you, your mind for that week was divorce, separation. You'd even talk to family kind of even, you know, you, you, you had made that decision, Yes. but something was stirring on the inside of you that it wasn't like, this wasn't the right choice. And you thought, I want to talk to one more person. Yeah. I, and that's what led you to Tom. It is because I'd went to work. I have another, uh, Christian friend one on my staff and, and she said, give yourself some time. And I did not want to hear that because I knew what, what she was saying was going to be that voice of delay. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, you're not telling me what I want to hear. I've got it drafted. I'm, I've, I've made my mind up. My feelings were it's done. And I'm like, I'm going to reach out to one more person because once he affirms me, then once I hear it, then I'm going to walk away. So I think that's important that all of us here, <clears throat> you need, when you are dealing with issues of trauma, and unforgiveness, you need to put people in your life that aren't going to only affirm what you want to hear. Okay? Sometimes we need, not sometimes, all the time, we need people in our lives that are going to affirm what the Bible says and affirm the truth. Too many of us are making decisions. We're finding people that will give us information that is contrary to the Word of God. So uh, I texted Tom and he made himself immediately available, very busy individual like myself. It's like getting a calendar. He said, I'll, I'll do whatever you need, where, meet wherever you want. And he met with me on that Wednesday uh, for three hours. And I went to them, he goes, and he just listened to me. He already knew what had happened. Uh, and he knows Michelle, so it's not like that we, our, our families don't know each other. And he just listened. And uh, I was waiting for him to give me the nod, like, it's, you're right on. Um, and he didn't. And he just said, "What do you think you should do?" And I said, "I think it's. I'm. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm gonna. I'm done. I'm gonna split the assets, and we're gonna just walk away." And and um, he goes, "Can I ask you a question?" He goes, "When you make that decision, do you feel like it truly reflects your heart, who David Cameron really is?" And I knew right then. I was like, "No, because I've taught my children." The very thing I've wanted for my whole life was grace, mm. just for God to 
say that it was over, that it, I've got you, David. I've always had you. I've taught my children there's nothing you can do that I won't love you. Yeah. I've taught my employees there's nothing. I'm going to give you grace. Yeah. He said, David, the moment your children need you to give it to their mother, will you do it? And what he did that moment is he showed a mirror of who David Cameron was, the heart of God that was in that. And God revealed to me, if David, if you can forgive Michelle, how much more do I forgive you? Yeah. Because what was about to happen was something beyond my power. And that's what extends to me. Mm. And so uh, I made a choice that day. My feelings weren't there. But I made a choice. I said, I'm going to do this regardless. And I'm going to tell my feelings to take a back seat. Wow. Because I did not want to do that. I'm like, the, world, the world's not going to, the church would even have accepted what I was about to do. But it's like, this is going to take something that's beyond me. But I knew God was working in me, and I went home that night. I said, oh, Michelle, she goes, I said, I talked to Tom. Oh. I looked her in the eye, and I said, I forgive you, Shelly. And I'm going to love you forever. Yeah, that couch, this couch is a little more comfortable than what we're in the counseling session. I'll say that. <laughs> Michelle, what were you expecting him to say? Um, we hadn't hardly talked at all <laughs> that, that week. And um, I was quarantined the week before. Uh, yeah, so the whole time this is going on, COVID's like. Yeah, and I had been put in quarantine uh Cause you know, you're at school and you're exposed. And so I was in the back bedroom for a week before this. And I was just like, I knew it was probably going to come out. And I was like, God prepare me. And he landed me in this YouTube series of a guy who had a ministry for, uh, marriages and healing from affairs. And so I just binge watched it. And, um, I was like, okay, so it's going to be a year before he's even going to trust me. And it's just recognizing the trauma of what that would be when I shared it. And so I did not expect anything. And when I made the choice to uh, disclose about the affair, then I was just like, God, it's in your hands. And I have no expectation. And so I just wanted to let David grieve and and talk when he wanted to talk and so i was not expecting anything anything so a week later you come to her david and you tell her you forgive her so take just a minute or two and walk us to this next part here with i mean because michelle you just said you were prepared for a year i mean from what you guys have told me it was just like you made the decision to forgive and it's like all right let's go yeah, I told Michelle I had one condition. I said, I want your shoulders back and your head up. I said, you're going to walk as a free person. I don't care what anybody else says to you. Wow. I said, I want you to accept what God has done for you through me and what God is doing. I don't care what anybody else looks at you. You're not, you're not a scarred woman. You're a free woman. Wow. And um, 
You're going to walk with your shoulder back and your head up. You don't walk with your head down and you don't owe me anything. And I don't want to see you groveling. I don't want to see you cooking extra or doing extra or doing anything else. I want you to walk for us just to be a new life. I, I do not wear, I, I, we got rid of our rings. I, I bought her a new one. It's a, 10 days later, I was like, I'm, it's not because I don't want to symbolize I'm married. It's like, but that marriage is dead. And this is our second one. And I'm like, I'm not going to look back. We're not going to look into that. We created an acronym called his, we were going to be honest. We we're going to be intentional and it was going to be safe because what we had not done was we were not honest with how we were with each other because we didn't trust one another to be safe. That if we said it, that they would treat us with respect or that it wouldn't cause us to split and uh, the enemy thought he had us, babe. But God had a different plan. And so uh, we knew we'd be telling this story someday. We wanted to. But uh, it wasn't always easy. It hasn't been easy since that point because what we brought into that second marriage was still there. Yeah. And that's where f- probably freedom came into play. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to him a little bit because I know, and this isn't a promo for freedom, but Freedom wrecked your life. Yeah. So because I still came into the marriage and still had the same thing in my insecurity in Christ that I was still, and Chad knows this because he's heard it and all my freedom buddies have heard me talk about. My, like, my freedom group became a confession place. Yeah. And it was like each week we were just waiting for the next guy to confess whatever it was going to be. Yeah. And, I, uh, and each week, and, and you had eight men in my house crying weekly. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. And it just opened up doors. I mean, I just love my you know, tie. And I saw Toss, Ty, so there's my brother there. And Chris, I mean, we had just an incredible group. But I reached out to Chad. I was desperate because, see, while my marriage was being healed, my heart still was this vacant spot of insecurity, that, of just legalism, that I had to somehow do something spectacular for God. And I, I just can't believe that a Christian would drink. And, and, and I just it was impossible. And I reached out to Chad. I saw, and, you know, I don't even, I can't stand Facebook um, in a lot of ways, just probably because of what I do. But um Anyway, I saw this post from Chad about freedom, and I just texted him. I said, man, I don't have any Christian friends where, I mean, I had Tom. I still have, always have Tom. But uh, I reached out to Chad, and I was like, man, I was just in a very vulnerable state. And he said, yeah, sure, come on over. And then freedom just began to open up a whole new world. And Chad was like, man, you need to take a chill pill, dude. You're like uh, – and then the freedom conference, but really the – just what God did in Freedom Conference, and I haven't even really shared all of it with Shell because she's going through freedom this next time, and I am leading a freedom group this time. Uh, I believe in it so much, but really what really changed was after freedom, uh, I was like, is this really real? It was December 5th, and we were in this sanctuary, and I was I was dead as a doornail. I'm like, here I am again after freedom. I'm not feeling anything. Here I'm right back to same old David. And Chad starts talking, starting the service. You ever been in one of those services where the pastor starts saying, I, you know, God's just, we got to do something here. We're talking about Nehemiah to build a wall. And some of you just feel like God's done with you. He's been done for you for a long time and he's not going to use you. And I'm starting going, well, that's me, but I'm not about to raise my hand. And I'm not going to, hey, just sing another song and move on with the service, you know. And then they start singing and Doug Kramer, who I didn't know at the time, walks around. I think I'm on the third row over here. And he goes, I don't know your name or who you are, but he gave me a word that God wouldn't finish with me. And that he, and Chad was talking about me. 
And that's the moment that uh, he said he loves you and he's not done with you and he has a plan for you. And That's when he interrupted the service and said there's someone. Yeah, and then Chad goes, I can't go any further. Um, and I was like, <laughs> and I didn't need a feeling. I just knew at that moment God loved me no matter what. And the same forgiveness that I got to give Michelle was being poured out on no. me no matter how I felt that day because yeah. I was not in a good place. That even in my weakness, God showed up in that service. And so uh, now what I want everybody to hear is you forgave her. Then I had to forgive myself. You had to forgive yourself. But you, then is when you felt for all those years of trying religion. It wasn't about it. It was God just wanted to forgive you. And when you for, and when you lavishly forgave someone else, the Lord lavishly forgave you. And your life's not been the same since. No. And I, I had to forgive God. Mm. I was extremely bitter with God. He was the puppet master of all puppet masters. I wouldn't have told anybody about the Jesus I knew. Mm. It was too difficult. It was too impossible. But this is just freedom. Yeah. And last thing, and then we're going to give everybody else an opportunity to make a decision here. The Sunday I spoke on forgiveness. Mm. You guys are sitting in that second row there. And, and in the Freedom Conference, you talked about it. You, you felt like the Lord had asked you to forgive some people. And you said there, you said there that whole message that I'm preaching on forgiveness and you, your shoulders back. Yeah. You're having some pride. Thinking, oh. I got this. I don't have to forgive anybody. And then the altar call came and the Lord said, hello. Who did he tell you to forgive then? I can vividly remember he told me to forgive the, 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 some of the church folks I'd grown up with for... I felt I was bitter with them because I felt like they were very legalistic and imposed that upon myself, some other people. But the big one was the, the man that had had the affair with my wife because I, I, I know him. And Michelle, who did the Lord tell you to forgive? The same person, the man that I had the affair with. Yeah. And you guys have forgiven him now. Yes. Yeah. Prayed for his, it's hard to pray for a blessing, but yes, in my heart, I forgive and I pray for him um, routinely. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't